Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, the wind power industry is exploding around the world, and not so much in America. And uh, this show today, we're going to be dedicating to the California wind power industry that is now beginning to take shape in the very early stages. And uh, it's interesting because when you look around the world and you look at what's happening in Europe, uh, right now, Tyler, there are about 5,400 wind turbines operating in European waters. They produce about 25 gigawatts of power. That is a massive amount. The industry has produced 210,000 jobs in Europe. And right now in America, the Biden administration is beginning to open the door to U.S. wind power development. Couple of quick updates, Tyler. Let's uh, hear it. The, wind, the Vineyard Wind Project off of Massachusetts has been uh, is in its final permitting stages to become one of the larger operational wind uh, power facilities in the U.S. Uh, the state of North Carolina this week announced that they are going to commit to offshore wind 2.8 gigawatts, about a $140 billion investment that may be coming online in the next 10 years in North Carolina. The Biden administration is opening up investigations of wind power opportunities in the Gulf of Mexico. And the governors of nine states on the East Coast sent a letter to the Biden administration demanding that they take affirmative action to promote wind power offshore of the East Coast. So. A lot is happening right now. And with all of that happening, uh, needless to say, it's a very exciting time. There's a, a, a boatload of opportunity here, uh, but also it is a bit of a disruption, it's fair to say, in the coastal communities of America. These are, it's a new industry coming into town. Yeah. And as we know, whenever that happens, uh, there can be a little apprehension uh, but uh, by and large, it's all positive. Uh, we have done several shows by now uh, on uh, several ASPN podcasts, in fact, covering the uh, working waterfront uh, implications of offshore wind, all of the jobs that can be created, the clean energy stuff, the the ecosystem services p potential here. So this is this really represents this new era of the American blue economy that we're coming into. And uh, this this kind of frontier space uh, full of possibilities. So I'm really looking forward to today's show, getting to discuss this. And we have an awesome guest to take us through the situation in California. We do indeed. Joining us on the American Shoreline podcast is Adam Stern. He is the executive director of an organization called Offshore Wind California, a longtime uh, activist and uh, environmental uh, expert in the, on the west coast of the united states so i'm really looking forward to talking to adam and learning what's happening in california with respect to offshore wind me too peter but first let's have a quick word from our sponsors the american shoreline podcast network and coastalnewstoday.com are brought to you by lja engineering with 28 offices along the gulf coast the folks at lja engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Well, Adam, thank you very much for taking time to join us on the American Shoreline podcast and talk about California wind power. It's a pleasure to be with you both, Peter and Tyler. Uh, Adam, let's start with a little bit about you. Uh, tell us your background. How did you come to be the executive director of Offshore Wind California? Well, I'm a lifelong environmentalist. I've worked in a variety of leadership roles in nonprofits, in business, and in government, always with an environmental focus. I've had stints at organizations like the Environmental Defense Fund, the US EPA, the San Francisco Department of the Environment, and 
most recently before this position at Actera, which is a San Francisco Bay Area nonprofit that works on climate change. I've always been focused, especially the last 25 years or so, on solutions to climate change. And I've tried to apply that in different settings. Two years ago, I heard that a new trade group was being formed to address the need for offshore wind in California. I put my hat in the ring and uh, I got the job. Well, that's awesome. And congratulations. Uh, I definitely think Offshore Wind California found a, a great leader here. Um, can we, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more here uh, about your experiences working in the environmental movement. Are, are, do you have a few uh, bullets that you could share with us? Maybe some, some high watermarks of uh, things you worked on in the past. Sure. One high watermark that's very relevant to this was in 2010, there was a California ballot measure that was trying to roll back the state's clean energy and climate law, a law known as AB 32. And I got involved in the campaign to stop that. It was actually sponsored by some uh, oil and gas companies from out of state that took advantage of the ballot procedure in California and put this thing uh, in a form that on the face of it, especially during the challenging economic times around 2010, was potentially appealing to voters. But we organized a coalition of environmentalists, labor union leaders, public health experts to make the case that California's clean energy and climate law was central to our state's future. And we overcame that effort and eventually won a resounding victory. What's relevant here is that that same coalition of environmental groups, labor organizations, environmental justice groups, and now industry is working together to make offshore wind happen for California. It's all built. Uh, these things are built bit by bit over years, these kinds of new initiatives. Uh, tell us about Offshore Wind California. Uh, what does the organization do? Who supports it? And uh, what's the vision of this organization? Sure. We're a trade group or business association. We're made up principally of offshore wind developers and technology firms that are trying to build public support for the responsible development of offshore wind in the state. Our board member companies include some well-known names like uh, Equinor and Orsted, uh, Magellan Wind, Mainstream Renewable Power, Ocker Offshore Wind, Principal Power, and now most recently Shell. And all these companies have come together with the vision that we need to create the right policy environment, the right uh, regulations and rules to enable this industry to get going and eventually to flourish. We now have a broad range of supporters, uh, clean energy advocates, uh, industry leaders, environmental groups, labor unions, and uh, substantial bipartisan backing. So this is now emerging as a really significant movement with our trade group kind of helping to lead the way and pull together a variety of stakeholders uh, to help make offshore wind become a reality here. Well, it is really exciting. And I got to say, I'm a, I'm a child of California, Peter. And I'm kind of a little surprised that we're not earlier to the game. You know, California kind of prides itself on being uh, a progressive, environmentally first kind of uh, place. I would say the West Coast in general. And yet, uh, we're seeing offshore wind emerge first, at least in the United States, on the eastern seaboard. Uh, Adam, why why is that? Why is the eastern seaboard developing offshore wind first? And is is Calif would you characterize California as behind, or w what's up with the timing here? Uh, we are behind. Uh, we have been leaders, as you know, on many clean energy issues, from solar to electric vehicles to onshore wind. But the main reason we're behind at the moment is that California has a very deep drop off its continental shelf, which means that the waters there are gonna require a different kind of technology to enable offshore wind uh, to function here. And that's uh, something that is a little bit behind the um, 
fixed foundation structures that are planned for the East Coast and are already well-developed in Europe. Uh, fortunately, though, these floating platforms, which are now growing in size in a variety of settings in Europe, places like Scotland, Norway, off the coast of France, uh, Portugal, and now Japan, uh, this floating approach with a platform that is tethered to the bottom of the sea with guidelines is now coming into its own and moving from the pilot stage to the commercial stage and eventually, uh, we believe, to the utility scale uh, phase, which is what our vision for California involves. So I'd say, just frankly, it, it, it's kind of a technology evolution issue more than anything else that has uh, slowed the pace of development. In addition, for quite a few years between 2016 and 2020, let's say, uh, there was a challenging dynamic around siting offshore wind uh, in California between the Interior Defar Department, which wanted to move ahead, and the U.S. Navy, which had some uh, variety of operations off the coast of California uh, that they believe presented some conflicts with the plans for offshore wind. What's exciting and something that has happened just in the last few weeks is under the new Biden administration, those conflicts between the Navy and the Interior Department have largely been resolved, at least with respect to the central coast of California, which is what was the main area of concern. And now the Biden administration, together with support from Governor Newsom and the state agencies, were able to make a joint announcement and say that California now is ready to move forward on offshore wind. I know we'll get into this more in the program about exactly how that is going to play out. But um, the fact that the government agencies were able to see a solution here and a path to responsible development uh, has really been a watershed moment, frankly, for this industry and I think for the, the state citizens looking ahead to a clean energy future. So good to hear that the uh, government regulatory environment is starting to get uh, more understandable and cleaner to open the opportunity for offshore wind in California. Um, while this is new technology to the United States, uh, there are very few operating turbines. Uh, as you've said, this is not new technology. It's proven. There are more than 5,000 offshore wind uh, towers operating in European waters. Even the floating type are now being built. Uh, so we know this can work. Um, why do you think it's important that offshore wind be, be a component of California's clean energy future? Our state, along with other states, has a very ambitious goal of getting to 100% clean energy by 2045. And that may seem like a long way away, but anyone who's been involved in planning energy resources knows that each project takes a long time to review and consider and permit and eventually build. So when you look at the map or the composition of energy supply in California now, the growing presence of solar, um, our legacy resources and uh, hydro, uh, the onshore wind that we have, we've made great progress as a state, but we won't get to the 100% unless a new resource like offshore wind comes into the mix and an analysis that this uh, several california state agencies just released a couple months ago uh, says uh, definitively for the first time that when they look at the options off there's a place for offshore wind in fact a minimum of 10 gigawatts of offshore wind needs to be in the portfolio in order for the state to get to that 100 percent level in 2045 so that's the rationale and the case here i actually think 10 gigawatts should be the floor because uh there's so many attractive features of this resource and i know we'll get into this in a minute but um it just there's a lot of opportunity to go beyond that and i think particularly when you look at the economies of scale with this and some of the other benefits related to jobs and 
uh, development in areas that might have previously suffered economically. There's a lot to like here, uh, and we're excited that the state is you know, recognizing this, including it in its long-term plans, and that the federal government, which importantly has the jurisdiction over the waters, um, is now you know, moving in with a positive agenda and wanting to work together with the state to make this happen. Yep, the picture's looking a little greener and a little brighter. Uh, if Would you mind, Adam, explaining a little bit about what a gigawatt is and what 10 gigawatts means? Sure. A gigawatt is a thousand megawatts. Uh, that's the equivalent of basically a big coal-fired power plant or a nuclear power plant. Uh, there are different estimates of how many homes this can support, but it's anywhere between 350,000 and 700,000 homes that could be supported through their electricity needs uh, with a gigawatt. Um, and so when you play it out, the initial commitment that the Biden administration announced a few weeks ago uh, is enough sea space to build out 4.6 gigawatts. Uh, that's enough for roughly three and a half million homes. And actually a finer analysis that I just saw recently that I think really makes it tangible for people, that's enough power uh, to support the electricity needs of all the homes in San Diego, Los Angeles, and Sacramento combined. Um, and, you know, for this resource to be able to support that level of electricity need in those cities, you know, the way I look at it is this is just the start. Uh, we're very excited about the early commitments uh, of the Biden administration together with the state agency coordination and cooperation. And uh, we see, you know, these early phases as the beginning of what could be a, you know, very large industry and one that would uh, perhaps go beyond those 10 gigawatt goals that have been set out in, in a variety of policy documents now. Well, I'm I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Uh, there there are so many implications, and I, I want to um, take some time here uh, and actually discuss what this would mean for the state of California. But but first, to go back to something you you mentioned earlier, economies of scale. What do you what do you mean by that? Um, what is it about offshore wind that allows for this this idea of economies of scale? Yeah, so the thing that has happened in the evolution of offshore wind is we are now in a dramatic period of technology advancement and improvement where earlier the biggest turbine that would be put on an offshore wind platform would be in the range of two megawatts. Uh, just in the last few months, a number of turbine manufacturers have announced models that are between 12 and 15 meg megawatts. Um, these are enormous structures. In fact, the towers uh, that support them could be as large as the towers on the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, they are an absolute engineering marvel, and they have blades that are bigger, in some cases, than a football field. Um, and they are so powerful that a single turn of one of these blades is enough to power a home for a day. Um, wow. And when you get to, <laughs> when you get to this scale, um, the costs uh, rapidly go down. And we're or already seeing this trend in a variety of analyses that have been done on the fixed foundation projects that are prevalent in Europe and are coming to the east coast of the United States where there are shallower waters, the same trend line is anticipated to play out for the floating projects that will be the heart of what California does. So it's a lot about going big. In fact, I'd say um, more than any other renewable energy resource, uh, going big is crucial. You need to get to scale so that you can effectively industrialize the manufacture of the components, the blades, the turbines, the towers. Um, and once an industry springs up, and we hope very much that'll be in our state, uh, these costs go down. And then that's a real boon to California ratepayers 
we've seen projections that by the time these projects will be uh, in the water and spinning and generating electricity, the costs will be competitive with pretty much any other renewable resource right there along with onshore wind and solar and other things. And in addition, it has some qualities that go beyond price that make it really valuable. And this is a beautiful kind of complementary nature to offshore wind that matches up with the flow of solar in our state. There are periods of the day in California where we actually have more solar than we need, but then quickly at the end of the day, when the sun goes down, we have these gaps where there's periods where right now uh, the state needs to turn on natural gas plants to get us through the high use periods during the evening. And this is exactly when the wind offshore is at its strongest. Um, and so offshore wind can provide steady, reliable uh, energy and the electricity that is generated by that energy that complements the solar and really is sort of a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful vision that takes advantage of the wonders of our planet. Um, and so I'm, you know, as leading this organization and all of our wonderful companies and other supporters, uh, it's very exciting to be working on something that I think can bring the world more into alignment with um, how it functions and take advantage of these clean resources and uh, do so at an affordable price for Californians. Well, that sounds like a good deal to me. And I know my, my parents who uh, live there and pay utility bills uh, would certainly appreciate a lower electric bill. Um, these things are massive. I mean, one turn equals the energy needed for a household uh, for a day. That's incredible. Um, these are massive, massive, massive things. It's going to take a different type of working waterfront in California, I have to imagine, to not only construct, but also maintain and keep these facilities working. Um, what Have you done any analysis or study as to uh, where these facilities would be and, and how many people might be employed? What kind of jobs are we creating? You mentioned uh, that you were hoping that California might... Uh, develop a bit of a cottage industry here. I'm wondering if there are any uh, new companies that have maybe started up already uh, as they look forward to this development of offshore wind in California. Well, there's a huge amount of interest, uh, and I'll just highlight a couple things here. You know, one key dimension to making this work is having ports that are upgraded in a way that enables this kind of manufacturing and assembly to happen. And there are now some early efforts at uh, restoring Humboldt Port, which is in the far north of California, adjacent to one of the sites that the federal government has identified as a prime area for offshore wind. And they have up there a significant uh, area that could be used to build some of the components of offshore wind turbines and towers and also it is structure or the the port is laid out in a way that with some modifications and upgrades could enable these uh, giant machines to be tugged out to where they would be tethered uh, in their locations which are meant to be 20 to 30 miles offshore um, so there's a whole supply chain that needs to come together. Humboldt is one prime place where that could happen. It's an area that you know used to be central to the timber industry. Uh, that's declined in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of people up there, including the labor unions, who were looking at this and saying, this could be our future uh, if the right decisions are made. Uh, the state now, for instance, is working together with the federal government on what we hope will be a big grant to uh, do some of the early upgrades of the Humboldt port. There are other parts of the California coast that have opportunities to get involved too. There's a port called Port Wainami, which has some potential in this way. And there are various studies underway to find the right package of uh, development so that uh, this can be a California industry. 
Well, the equipment and the technology involved here means that there's going to be a lot of blue collar, uh, high paying, high skilled jobs involved in the construction operation and maintenance of these things. That's an exciting attribute. This is what uh, they in politics, they say is a good job. That's right. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. Yeah. You need the ships, you need the boats, all of the support, everything. It's incredible. Uh, you know, historically, uh, Adam, in the U.S., when we're citing uh, major manufacturing facilities or energy facilities, uh, the track record is not terribly uh, uh, positive. We see a lot of these heavy industries or uh, manufacturing or energy facilities being put into communities that are poorer, uh, more minority, and uh that's different. It's one of the interesting attributes about wind power is that the development of this new industry off of California uh, doesn't have the kind of environmental justice implications or threats. Uh, can you comment on that? Well, one of the most promising dimensions of this is that I think I spoke earlier in your program about the way in which right now California uses natural gas to cover natural gas power plants to cover periods of the day when we don't have uh, enough solar and other existing renewables to uh, support the grid. And often those natural gas plants are in communities that historically have borne a disproportionate share of environmental burdens. And over time, it's our belief that offshore wind can help accelerate the eventual retirement of these natural gas plants, thereby reducing pollution in the very communities that have suffered the most. That's got to be one of the uh, best angles of offshore wind uh, that I just, it's kind of new for me. I, I haven't heard much of that on the East Coast examples, but I'm sure it's true there as well, you know. Uh, that these what they're called fence line communities uh, adjacent to the, these big power plants are more often than not, uh, you know, poor uh, minority communities that get kind of shafted with the siting. And man, is this a, a, a cool way to maybe shut down some of those uh, dirty facilities and not have to relocate the people who live near them and kind of beautify those areas. I really think that that is an important element to think about when we are arguing in favor of offshore wind. Uh, let's talk about federal uh, policy here, Adam. If I can jump oh, yeah, in please with do. one please comment do. to that. You gave a perfect setup to one, something else I wanted to share. When Governor Newsom joined the press conference with the federal agency leaders and people from the White House, to uh, embrace this new announcement of opening up a number of sea space areas for the development of offshore wind, he led with the environmental justice argument. He recognizes that this is a very compelling case of why offshore wind should be advanced. And it was terrific to hear him, uh, especially among so many listeners, speaking to this particular way in which offshore wind can reduce the pollution load over time and create a more sustainable, clean, renewable system for the state. Indeed. I mean, we we talk about it all the time in coastal uh, stuff here on this podcast. I mean, the social component, the social equity component is essential for uh the future of, of, of fixing climate change. It, that is why uh, the Green New Deal kind of came to be a thing. Uh, it was this combination of not only the environmental uh, reforms, but also the social overlay. And as we say on this program all the time, climate change is not a science problem. It is a people problem. And we have to be into the solution. And if the solution is inequitable, chances are we won't be into it. So... It really is a, a, a social achievement here that offshore wind can bring that element to the table. Uh, shifting back up to uh, the federal level, uh, what you, you, we mentioned before that the, the Biden administration has opened the spigot. They want to see uh, these projects move forward. You mentioned that the Navy is uh, 
uh, more you know down with offshore wind they're not giving uh, california as much of a, a headache with regard to the siting what else is going on at the federal level specifically w- within the the biden administration uh, that's moving offshore wind along in california yeah so here's how this works what the significance of the announcement a few weeks ago was that the Biden administration said that two areas that had previously been identified as having excellent offshore wind resources now could advance to the next stage of environmental review and eventual uh, leasing for the right to build offshore wind farms in the sea space. And those are at Morro Bay, which is on the central coast, and Humboldt, which is in the far north coast. So those are the two areas. Now, what needs to happen in the coming year is for a series of environmental assessments, uh, some reviews, including by the California Coastal Commission, which will play an important role in the consideration of these plans, um, and a variety of other state and federal agencies will be in the mix, uh, leading to what we expect, if they stay on schedule, will be sometime in the middle of 2022, will actually be um, auctions for the lease space. So developers, including some of the members of our organization, will have the chance to bid for the right to build. That then, once those leases are granted uh, through a federal agency that's part of the Interior Department known as the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, or BOEM, once BOEM issues the leases, then there's a extensive permitting and review process uh, that will be set in motion. The federal government will be very involved in that as well. Um, I will say that additionally on the federal side, there's some uh, interesting new tax credits that were passed in Congress just at the end of 2020, an investment tax credit, which is a hugely valuable asset right now uh, if it if developers have the time to capitalize on it, it basically reduces the cost of building offshore wind projects by 15% or so when you do the modeling. And that will end up being a very significant benefit to California ratepayers. Um, there are a lot of moving parts here, and it t- takes some time to kind of keep it all in, on, in your head of these moving Parts, the different agencies that are involved and the stakeholders that are have to be consulted. But what I'm picking up from especially the events of the last you know, month or so is there's a sort of gelling of aligned interests among so many parties, government, industry, environmental groups, environmental justice groups, labor. Uh, this is a win, win, win on so many er- er- levels. And you know, we're excited to be out front leading the charge well you know it's indicative of the fact that it's a damn good idea uh that's why you see this broad base of coalition aligning behind these projects around the around the world and now in the united states in the last a couple of years uh it's important, I think you mentioned the environmental reviews that will go into the leasing itself by the Bureau of uh, Ocean Energy Management. Uh, we are very familiar with BOEM down here in Texas because it's the same organization that leases offshore Gulf of Mexico tracks for oil and gas development. So it's the same kind of uh, uh, idea here. The federal government controls and owns uh, offshore waters, and these will be uh, placed there. And there needs to be a lease agreement that decides where these things will occur, where they will be placed. Uh, The other important thing I think you mentioned was the level of public engagement and and process that will be required to get this industry off the the drawing board and into the water. Uh, The California Coastal Commission is renowned for its level of scrutiny of development on the California coast. I'm sure they will do an outstanding job of looking, taking a hard look at this industry as it emerges. I mean, that gives me a sense of confidence that whatever comes out of this process uh, is going to be well-founded and well-thought-out and address the concerns of a broad variety of interests. Uh, It's not easy to do what you're what your organization is trying to do. You're talking about societal level transformation. 
in something people are not terribly familiar with. It's a big job, uh, Adam. Uh, what's your strategy moving forward as an organization to cultivate the environment and to get these projects uh, from the page and into into the water? Well, I'll, I'll very much speak to this, and it's a central part of our strategy. We have very good relationships with the major environmental groups, and uh, this is something I personally bring to this because much of my career has been working with environmental groups like the nine years I spent at the Environmental Defense Fund. Um, I understand that to do this, we need to do it right and in a way that protects our precious coastal and marine resources. And among the things we've seen happen in recent weeks is that uh, very respected national organizations like the National Audubon Society, the Sierra Club, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and Environmental Defense Fund um, all came out in favor of a piece of legislation that's moving through the California legislature called AB 525. It is a bill that would direct the state to develop a strategic plan for offshore wind. To have those organizations engaged at this level and signaling their support, of course, with the important proviso that there be sufficient environmental protections and studies and assessments, um, I think that sets up the stage for a very constructive dialogue as the permitting unfolds. And those groups thought about this carefully. Um, they recognize that the threat of climate change is so urgent that this is a situation where we need to find a way to make this work. We need to uh, of course, be very conscientious about the locations for the wind farms and the management of and operation of them. But I think having those organizations on board in the process early is going to lead to very positive outcomes. Adam, would you uh, maybe I'd love to just nerd out a little bit on this in this space and uh what are some of the uh, I'm thrilled to hear that the environmental community sees the greater good and the need to transition off of fossil fuels for the sake of the environment. It is maybe the you know, foundational to the mission. But still, what are some of the the catch, you know, the, the issues where the environmental communities might be saying, hey, we really want to pay attention to, you know, X, Y or Z. What are what are some of the issues that are really um, where there's focus? Well, let me set the stage for this. Uh, the fact that these projects are planned for between 20 and 30 miles offshore um, a, sort of creates a much better setting in which some of the environmental challenges are reduced. Uh, you know, the shorebirds and the other species that ply along the coast of California are much greater numbers closer to the coast. But when you get out to 20 to 30 miles offshore, it's it's a different uh, situation. And uh, there are, you know, definitely marine resources and patterns of migration of birds and mammals that we need to pay attention to. And I'm sure environmentalists are going to make sure, are, are going to put those issues front and center in some of the public hearings and comment opportunities that exist, um, you know, to as this as these proposals are being considered um i, I think the other part uh, about the 20 to 30 mile offshore piece of this is that that is usually just at the horizon and so uh you know all of us who live in california value the beautiful views and serenity that comes from looking out at the sea from our coastline but for the most part except on the clearest of days people aren't gonna see these. Uh, and when they do see them, they're gonna be really almost as small as toothpicks in the, in the far distance. Um, and so I think that sort of reality, once people get their head around that um, and see some visualizations, which uh, the federal government has um, brought to bear on in the early discussions of these, I think people are gonna get more comfortable with this. Um, and in addition, I couldn't emphasize enough the importance of monitoring uh, both before the projects are built, 
during their construction and ultimately when they're operating, uh, it may very well be that we learn some things in the permitting process and the planning that leads to some adjustments in the specific locations for the offshore wind turbines, um, the spacing of them, and uh, the number of them all are moving parts that could be adjusted to ensure that this clean energy resource also protects the environmental resources that we care so much about. I am so glad to hear you say that, Adam. I think that kind of uh, flexibility is is critical uh, when you engage in a, a serious public review process. Listening requires adjusting and learning. So to see hear the industry uh, speak in those terms at the outset, I think, is a very positive, uh, very positive thing to hear. Uh, I wanted to ask. Now you talked about these are floating platforms, which uh, are not brand new. Uh, we can look around the world and see these operating on the scale that you're discussing, uh, but they're going to be tethered to the bottom. And I wanted to ask uh, a question about about the lines and, and, and one of the concerns that I think is likely to arise. Uh, we've got uh, California gray whale migration up and down the west coast of the United States. Uh, there are huge issues of whale entanglement associated with the, uh, the lobster fishery in Maine uh, where there are millions of lines in the water every year. Uh, we're not talking about something on that scale, Tyler. Well, and, and the crab industry in California, That's which true. I think voluntarily ha- has shifted their season. They've been very proactive in trying to avoid whale entanglements right. there in California. And it's not the same thing. The tethering lines that are going to be associated with these facilities are different and far less numerous. But can you talk a little bit about what you think uh, that issue might bring uh uh, forward uh, for the regulatory community and for you as an industry association group? Well, it absolutely is something that needs to be understood better. Uh, I think uh, we're hearing a lot of concern raised early on by the fishing community in particular, uh, worried about how this could affect their freedom and capacity to navigate certain waters that may be prime fishing grounds. Uh, But I'm really encouraged by what I'm hearing from scientists who have done studies in Europe and now increasingly on the East Coast and some background studies that are happening in California that suggest that the impact on species, or at least the negative impact, is, is minimal. And that the scope of the impact even looked on a large scale, is something that is manageable and with appropriate adjustments, as I was speaking before about the actual siting of the wind turbines. Um, These are solvable problems in our view. Uh, And I think the key to making this work is listening carefully to the other ocean users, um, understanding what needs they have, and finding a path to coexistence uh, where clean energy can be produced by these spinning turbines, fishermen can get to their fishing grounds, boaters can enjoy the wonders of being out at sea, and the mammals and other birds, uh, I mean birds and other species can uh, flourish. And I think there's a very real uh, opportunity to achieve all of that if it's done right. And if it's studied carefully in the way that I think we're getting off to a very good start on this. Um, and the other thing that's exciting that I think is going to be a real um, boon to those who care about whales and other mammals is um, there's growing technology that uh, is helping to identify much more precisely how these migration patterns unfold and can um see them coming ahead of time. Uh, And I've listened to some of our members who are in the technology field who are on these boats on the East Coast right now doing the mapping and uh, reporting on where the uh, marine life is. And that same kind of uh, sort of defining the environment you're in process is one that's starting to happen in California. We have a lot of very good maps already, but we're gonna be doing more developed ones. 
I think the use of technology can help minimize the conflicts with our marine and coastal resources. And it's, it's really exciting to see some of these companies that have perfected certain technologies that may have been used in other industries and now applying them to offshore wind. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. They, we, are, we can be smart enough here to avoid making dumb mistakes in the development of an industry that we absolutely have to have if we're going to take seriously climate change and the decarbonization of our energy system. Um, it, there are plenty of smart professionals uh, around the world, but particularly in California, uh, people who are expert in policy and technology and siting. Uh, we need our best minds to work together here. This does need to happen. Uh, it's a big ocean out there. There's room for fish, there's room for whales, and there's room for these towers. And the thing to remember, in my opinion, having stood underneath a wind tower uh, turbine in Texas, uh, in South Texas, there are plenty of these things on, on land. It's amazing to drive up to it and walk to it. These are not secured by gates. They're, people are farming and running cattle right up next to it. There is no smokestack. There is no train load of coal. There is no burned uh, fly ash. There is no pollution. Uh, they're incredibly simple machines. I know they're complicated in getting them to work efficiently, but they're very basic and the uh, technology is, is the cleanest way to go. And uh, I'm just hoping as the interests uh, form in California and folks start to take a quick look that they remember the advantages that are offered by, by wind power offshore. It's, it's a tremendous uh, industry, and I, I, I'm just hoping it all comes together, Adam, as your organization moves forward. Well, I... Couldn't agree more with you. Uh, one of the things I wanted to be sure to share with your audience is how uh, energized the people in the industry are about this opportunity. There are a lot of environmental engineers and consultants and uh, marine scientists and um, people who know about constructing big infrastructure who are just jazzed about being in something that is so hopeful and promising. And when, uh, of course, in this year of the pandemic and everything, we haven't had much time to get together in person, but even online, the enthusiasm is very, very high. People are excited to be part of something that is truly uh, a key building block in a sustainable future for California and many other parts of the world. Um, and so one thing I wanna be sure uh, your listeners here is that, especially the younger people, if you're getting started in an environmental career, oh, yeah. um, you know, offshore wind, this is a growing industry. And yeah. uh, there are many opportunities for people to get involved. And I encourage you to pursue them because, uh, you know, th this, this is our future at stake. And um, I just have been so energized by what I'm experiencing being uh, part of an organization that has so many positive, enthusiastic people glad to be doing this work. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And the, the interesting thing to me, you had mentioned the NRDC and EDF and Sierra Club and Audubon organizations that are getting behind the legislation in California to promote offshore wind. And then I look at your board member companies and I see Equinor, the national energy company of Denmark, uh, who is moving in, moving away from fossil fuels now and beginning to develop offshore wind power in Europe. And it's really encouraging to see Shell Oil. And I know BP has been interested totally. in, in buying leases off for wind power off the, uh, the, the northeast shoreline of, of the United States. When we start to see this kind of alignment, which is so rare in this highly polarized era where Shell Oil, BP, Equinor, other uh, oil majors, and the environmental community getting behind a project, we're in a special moment, aren't we? Absolutely. And one uh, revelation in this regard was when the bill that I spoke of earlier, AB 525, this is the one that calls for a strategic plan in California for all of its offshore wind plans, um, when it came in front of the legislature about three weeks ago, it passed in a bipartisan way 
by a vote of 71 to 1. Uh, I don't know of any other policy issue that has come up in recent years uh, in California with that kind of uh, complete endorsement. And so, um, you know, that included Democrats, Republicans, independents. Uh, and it's really encouraging that people see this and they kind of check out all the dimensions of it. And the great majority are saying, we need to do this. And now the job is to figure out how to do it right and uh, bring it to scale so it can contribute in a meaningful way to California's clean energy needs. Well, uh, you, you mentioned AB 525, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the governor, uh, Newsom, in California. Seems to be all in and seems to really like, as, we, as I do, the environmental justice angle here in offshore wind. That's cool. Uh, it's great to see the the state assembly uh, passing legislation and moving forward. Uh, what else is going on from a state policy level, either with the, at the governor, in the legislature, or even at it at, at local levels, counties, uh, port districts, things like that, that are uh, what is the state of play there? Are, are we seeing a lot of uh, legislation moving right now, or is it kind of the, the prep buildup phase? So we are seeing a lot of leadership from key state agencies, and the ones that are kind of in the center of this are the big three, the California Energy Commission, the California Public Utilities Commission, and the CAISO, or California Independent system operator. That's the agency that runs the grid in California. And all three of them are engaged in different activities to plan for offshore wind, to figure out how it fits into the portfolio, and to plan for the transmission that's going to be crucial to bringing this resource into the larger grid. Uh, there are some great people who are running those agencies and are meeting uh, weekly, if not daily, on how to pull all the pieces together to make this happen. There's a interagency committee task force that's meeting regularly. Uh, they are also reaching out to industry because one of the things that we've uh, been delighted to provide is we've got a lot of expertise on this. If you look at our board member companies, they built projects like this in Europe. They are the contractors who are building the projects that will come soon on the East Coast. And so there's a lot of accumulated knowledge that we can share with the government agencies and regulators uh, in order to help um, you know, bring the best intelligence on how to make this work. Um, and so I'm just delighted with what we're seeing from the state agencies. And I think everybody I come into contact with on a regular basis, you know, they, they wanna make this work, but they also wanna do it according to the rules and with uh, sufficient environmental review so that we can be sure we're going to protect the marine and coastal resources we all care about. It's key. And uh, Adam, I know that uh, uh, with your duration at the Environmental Defense Fund and the, your history in the environmental community, uh, that this organization is led by somebody with a strong sensitivity to the critical environmental issues that need to be thought through and addressed. Uh, we're putting a lot of uh, faith in you and your organization and the uh, regulators uh, in California, the agencies that you've mentioned uh, to make this work. And, uh, you know, it'd be a breath of fresh air, wouldn't it, if we could start a new industry smartly, uh, avoid some of the fundamental mistakes we've made in the past and in, in bringing new economic sectors uh, into the world. Uh, it'd be cool, Tyler, if we could uh, pull this off maybe a little smarter well, this time. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm thinking 10 gigawatts seems small. Now. Yeah. I mean, I, I really feel like once the ball gets rolling and we develop, I mean, f further develop this expertise. I mean, that we already as a human species, maybe not in the United States of America, but when you add what's going on in Europe, the years of now since the early 90s, I believe, was the first offshore 
wind facility in Europe, as I recall, Peter. Uh, it goes back a ways in our research there. Yeah, there was some small starter stuff back in the 90s, yeah, the, I think. the early days of it mm-hmm. till now. I mean, that's decades now of innovation and improvement and learning. Yeah. And of course, that's going to continue. We are, you said earlier, I hope we don't make any stupid mistakes. And like, we will make mistakes. I guarantee that. The trick is having the right mindset to adapt and adjust. Ro- and adjust. That's what it's all about these days, you know? It's about that yeah. limber mind. That's right, adaptive um, which management. Is, which California's good at. I yeah. think so. It's the yeah, cool. If I can just jump in and speak to this, you know, we said at the beginning of the program that California is behind on offshore wind relative yeah. to Europe and the East Coast. But one of the benefits for coming a little later is that we're going to benefit from all the improvements and innovation that's happening uh, so that by the time... Uh, we get to the place of actually yeah. building these machines in the water, uh, we will have much more efficient, um, safer, quieter, uh, yeah. more cost-effective wind turbines than we would have built if we you know, been out uh, on the front of this. So I yeah. think that's actually a hidden uh, benefit that people aren't maybe you know, quite so aware of at this time. And Uh, You know, if you start following offshore wind and the industry in general, every day there is some news report of a new innovation, a bigger turbine, a lower cost, a study that showed that the impact on species was, you know, minimal and but is being acknowledged and people are trying to fix whatever is the negative side of that. Uh, So there's just a very nice virtual circle of uh, enhancement and trying to make this better that I'm picking up, you know, as I follow the news and developments. Um, let me just say, this is a, a big lift. Uh, California and the United States in general in recent decades has had challenges doing big things. But I think in part because of all the stakeholders who are on board with this, uh, this is something we can do, and um, I'm just excited to be part of it. Uh, it must be a thrilling, a thrill. It's a thrilling time to be involved in this. The emergence of this new industry. It's thrilling to watch. Yeah, and uh, with respect to tracking this issue, Tyler, I'm going to throw in a plug for Coastal News Today because we we follow energy issues on Coastal News Today and. If you go to Coastal News today and hit the energy tab, you'll see there's a boatload of, of, of wind power energy stories, not exclusively. We also follow the oil and gas industry. But you're right in saying that the technology is, is advancing so quickly. Uh, on the East Coast projects that are currently being uh, evaluated uh, for construction, they have reduced the number of towers because the generation capacity of the uh, turbines being installed has improved so quickly during the planning process that they've been able to reduce the total number of towers and reduce the cost of the project and generate as much power. That's how quickly it's changing. And uh, I think you're right. California actually is going to benefit. It's called leapfrogging in the in the business that the folks who initially put the technology in place, uh, of course, are set up in a particular way. If you're a little bit later, all of the benefits of the evolution in the technology and the understanding of how to operate it is now available. So California is primed to be uh, one of the most innovative, I would think, wind power uh, uh, sites in the world because all of that background, all that experience, all that technology, you guys get to pick and choose the best stuff. Well, and California, if I might just go a little <laughs> step further, is like, is culturally ripe oh to God. embrace this. So, They're all tech guys. Well, you know, there's this notion of like Silicon Valley yeah. and Hollywood, these kind of epicenters, uh, which is another California pun, but, you know, hubs of yeah. innovation and industrial uh, thought leadership. And I see no reason why the ingredients aren't ripe here in yeah. California to see offshore wind experience something similar. We just have to name it. Yeah. I just don't, it's, what do you call that? You know, is it? Yeah. What do we call it? It's you got Silicon Valley. Have you come up with a name yet for the, uh, for what this particular industry may be called? I don't have one for you there, but I did want to just briefly mention a, a number of trends that are coming together that make this all the more ideal in terms of timing, which yeah. is the, uh, rapid uh, acceleration of use of electric vehicles 
and the electrification in general of transportation, coupled with the effort to decarbonize buildings, uh, that is move away from heating them with natural gas and switching to electric appliances and electric systems, is all coming together in a way that by the end of the decade, we're gonna need a lot more electricity than we are using now. And that's exactly the time when these first, if, if we move expeditiously and get through this permitting and do the planning in a responsible way, the end of this decade is the time when we can see the vision of these wind turbines spinning out way by just at the horizon, producing the clean power to support our transportation, our buildings, yeah. our other needs for electricity. And, um, you know, that's a beautiful picture that a lot of people can get behind. You know, Peter, uh, when we did our show on decarbonizing shipping, yeah, um, I referenced in, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, you'll hear me say this a lot these days because I, I just love it, but the concept of age of sale 2.0. Yeah. In that, you know, the sailing technology really was the the transportation, the energy that yeah. moved humanity uh, for a long time, hundreds of years. And then we've discovered combustion and we've been combusting now for a couple hundred years. We're coming, we're kind of, you know, a wind, yeah. a wind turbine is, is a whirl, it's a whirling uh, sail. Yeah, and, it is. and so it's a continuation of this age of sail concept that now we're going to, uh, at least in part, power our modern lives uh, back with the wind again. And it's, it's, uh, it's nice to be back, I have to say. Yeah, back to basics. And, uh, you know, they, they've got a, Texas is the number one wind powering power state in, in the United States, about 23,000 megawatts, I believe. Uh, all land-based at the moment. Uh, and I always thought the bumper sticker uh, ought to be ride the West Texas wind because all these 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 electric car people who are plugging into the wind power source. Uh, there's just it's just it, it's amazing to think that uh, electric vehicles powered by offshore wind is a zero carbon uh, energy source. And, uh, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about riding the wind and it's a. Uh, it's a cool thing. This is like the emergence of, uh, this is one of the best new industries, I think, emerging around the world. Uh, it's got to be a lot of fun, Adam, to, to lead an organization that is uh, taking a step to solving one of the most uh, complex problems on the planet, and that's climate change. It is a lot of fun, and I couldn't do this without the terrific support we get from our member companies, from all the environmental organizations who are arguing the case for making sure we do this right for the state legislators who have taken an interest in this and you know put forward imaginative bills to advance this to many other players and the people actually that i'm finding you know particularly um inspired is just average citizens when they read about this we get emails coming in where i just got one last week where somebody said to me, you know, I know a lot of people oppose things and they're going to come up with issues. But the more I've read about this, you know, bring it on. We need this. This climate, we're in a climate emergency. We have to embrace the most positive solutions of which this is one. And so I find um, I get a lot of motivation when I hear from someone like that who's kind of sized it all up and says, this is something we need to bring here to California and continue our leadership along with the other things that we've been leaders on, like electric cars and solar and um, you know other dimensions of a sustainable life, uh, which you know it, California has always been out front on things. And as we've yep. spoken in this call, we're a little behind on this, but uh, I have greater confidence now that we're going to catch up and assert our role as a world leader in this as well well we'd like to follow the path with you as you go forward uh ladies and gentlemen it is adam stern he is the executive director of offshore wind california learn more about them at www.offshorewindca.org it's an, a great organization to see the environmental and the energy industry working together on something that has to get done so Adam, closing thoughts, and thank you very much for talking to our listeners. Well, just to your audience, um, I'm 
it's been an honor to visit with you and to have such good questions from Peter and Tyler. I just want to say that, you know, we welcome your support, your interest. Um, I encourage you, if you live in our state, to get involved in some of the public hearings that will come up in the next year or so, as well as a lot of information on our website. Thank you for the plug. Uh, a lot of reports and webinars that we've run. And so if you're interested in getting into this field, that's kind of a good place to start. Um, I, I so admire the program that you've developed and your agenda of kind of engaging on coastal issues because uh, something like 50% of more of Americans live near the coast. Um, and this is one of our best resources as a country. And you know, now to have an industry that can generate the clean energy we need and still protect the coastal and marine resources. Um, you know, that's that's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I, I thank you for giving me the chance to uh, share my vision on your program. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate the time. Adam Stern, please come back and tell us when the good things are beginning to happen. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast. Sell to build their hotels, my father's and mine would